0: Can become angry. That's easy. But to be angry at the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way, that's not so easy. Aristotle, that ancient Greek sage, he said that. This is skill number six managing emotions. It's from the book Everyone Can Win about handling conflict constructively. We manage our emotions when we respect them, listen to their message for change, so that we can choose wisely how and when to express what we feel. Managing other people's strong emotions is to acknowledge them without overreacting, disengage where necessary, and become a source of positive feelings for other people. Have you ever become so overwhelmed that you couldn't speak or even think clearly? Or perhaps so outraged that you thought, I'll show them, they're never going to do that to me again. Or perhaps so hurt by someone that you felt you couldn't forgive them. I'm talking here about big emotions like these. We want to handle them very well indeed if we're going to make our conflict situations better and not worse. So that means we don't indulge them and we don't deny them. And if we can accept our emotions and use them wisely, they can strengthen our relationships. Our emotions are a bridge between our physical world and our personal assessment of what's going on. They're the filter we use to interpret our relationship between what's happening out there and inside us. And usually that's helpful. Our emotions guide our responses. But our emotional filter is also very prone to distortion. Sometimes our social conditioning tells us it's not okay to feel those feelings. Sometimes we push them down because they trigger reactions that might damage the relationship or because we can't afford to feel them right now, because we've got to get on with the must-dos of living. And sometimes we just don't have enough courage or strength yet to open to a great emotional wave of sadness, regret, or anger, and listen to that message. We Also add extra layers to our emotional filter to reduce complexity and give ourselves a simpler handle on what's going on. We might create them to protect ourselves, to smother the feeling itself, or to blame ourselves, or condemn the other person. We tell ourselves a story to simplify our picture. We say to ourselves, I feel this, so that must mean... Say, for instance, I feel anxious, so that must mean I can't handle this situation. Or, I'm feeling abandoned, I just knew he didn't care about me. Or again, I'm furious, well, that just proves she has no respect for me. Or, uh, I'm depressed right now, and I was yesterday too. Oh, life's not worth living. It's story after story. The raw feeling itself is not a problem. It just is, however uncomfortable it is. But these extra stories get us into real trouble. They distort our view of reality. Pema Chodron, the Buddhist author, says, Feel the feelings and drop the story. So whenever I can, I take note of my added story and then I work on dropping it. I want to be aware of just the raw, undressed-up feeling. I try to get the other person out of the equation. Yes, my feeling might have been triggered by them, but my emotion is mine, and I'm choosing to take responsibility for how I feel. If I'm feeling cranky, my story often goes like, oh, I'm cranky. It's because they're so insensitive. But I just return to the raw feeling. Oh, that's me being cranky right now. I interrupt my extra story and my judgments about the other person. Well, I may have to pull myself up several times to quieten my story down. Gosh, my stories can be very insistent. But I keep returning to the body sensation of just crankiness without any dressing up. The unadorned feeling is my real ground And that's what I want to listen to. To be able to respond constructively to conflict, we need to catch hold of our so-called negative emotions long enough to assess them. That way we can take charge of what we say and what we do about them. We need to channel them into relationship quite carefully so that we protect ourselves and our connection with others. That's where our social emotional intelligence comes in let's look at some skills that can boost it so that we steer our passionate conflicts more effectively. If we can be clear about what we feel and what's the matter, then we can use our emotions for positive change. An emotion, positive or negative, is a disturbance to our usual equilibrium. And sooner or later, we're going to want to return to neutral. In Western societies, the most common way that people learn to release emotions is by expressing them to the people directly involved. But it's not always fair or wise to dump them on the relationship. I know it doesn't help to inflict my crankiness on the other person. But all my emotions, even my irritation, are acceptable and valuable to me. Each of them has a message to deliver. And I want to know about that. Not the story overlay that I might be running on it, but the message itself that comes out of the emotion. Anger, for instance. It's just a fire for change. Its purpose is usually to let people know that their behaviour is unacceptable to us. If we're furious, we may need to monitor how we express it so we're appropriate to the situation. Some people respond better when you talk more about your hurt and less about your anger. Is there hurt under my anger? I want to acknowledge that, at least to myself. What's the message of anger? I need change and that's what I've got to work towards. How about resentment? I believe it's immobilised anger. It's our way of holding ourselves apart and telling ourselves to be extremely cautious about this person, and that might be a very good point. But it's also keeping us stuck. We're blaming them for how we feel and for the situation that we're in. We're holding on to us being right and them being wrong. Is there something that we can forgive them for now so that we can break out of this holding pattern and really move on in our lives? Are we unconsciously waiting for them to change? Is that realistic? It may not be. but is there something that we can do that might shift us away from this standoff? The messages that resentment bring are, "I need to take charge of this feeling of resentment." I need to help this situation move along now. Hurt is another big emotion. It tells us that our needs are not being met or that our self-esteem has been injured. We need to look squarely at the wound and certainly before we withdraw, get angry or take revenge. Can we communicate our hurt without too much resentment? The messages of hurt? I need to heal. I need to feel safe in our relationship again. Offence. Offence is a tricky one. Um, Our sense of face, our dignity or our reputation have been attacked and we're offended. Perhaps someone alleges that we've done something wrong and we're really insulted. Everyone's social standing requires a certain level of deference from others to maintain it. And if they treat us like rubbish, we might well freeze them out. That's our survival mechanism. But it's not always productive. Yes, I will honour my feeling of offence. It maintains my dignity and protects my self-esteem. But do I go further and plot revenge? Can I save myself from an inappropriate reaction by considering what has triggered their lack of respect for me, Is it the pressures on the other person? Or is it just their ignorance? Or, heaven forbid, have I done something to provoke it? What message does offence bring? I deserve to be treated with respect, and I would prefer harmony to be restored. Fear. Fear warns us that we can't control this situation, that danger threatens, and we need to proceed with caution or seek help, or more information, or to withdraw? Do we need to separate fantasy from reality? What's really the worst that can happen here, and how would I deal with that? The messages of fear? I need to be careful, or I need support, or perhaps I need to consider my alternatives. Guilt. Guilt comes along when we do or even contemplate something that's less than we expected from ourselves. It's productive when we feel it, take on board its message, and then move on. But it can be self-destructive if it continues to gnaw at us long after the event. Is there something else here that we still need to learn or to fix? Guilt's purpose is to show us a better way to behave. The message might be, I need to make amends. Or perhaps just, I'll do things differently next time. Regret. Regret's a huge feeling that encompasses both pain and sorrow. It may follow after anger, resentment or guilt. It's a healthy conclusion to those feelings. It acknowledges the unfulfilled potential in the situation. I like to think of it like a slow fire, gently burning off the pain behind, oh, if only it were different. We can safely revisit our regret whenever we feel we're ready. It's saying, I acknowledge my pain and I accept how it was, or still is. I don't need to deny or defend or really do anything. I'm almost complete about this. All these emotions can become destructive, but they can also be our fire, our energy for positive change. Have we really heard that part of their message? We can choose to transform them from the negative. Anger offers us power for action. Hurt can deepen appreciation for the enormity of experience and for its beauty. And fear, when we master it, fuels new excitement, even exhilaration. Sometimes we'll prefer to convert our feelings with an indirect response. For example, this time your anger might be best transformed into building a better message system for passing on information. My crankiness of the other day had been directed at my friend, but it shifted the moment that I mentioned to her that I was dealing with a completely different problem that was troubling me. But generally we'll be direct, we'll communicate. So here are five questions that will help you manage your emotions so that you communicate wisely. Number one, why am I feeling this? Ask yourself what's triggered the response? What did someone do? Have they touched on a sensitive issue for me? Number two. What do I need to change? Your emotions tell you what you do and don't want to change. Emotions are often misused to prove the other person wrong and hold grudges. Instead, ask yourself, what change do I want? And does that sound reasonable and viable? Number three. What do I need in order to let go of this feeling? Once we get hold of an emotion, we can have trouble finishing with it. If someone made us angry, we stay angry. Or if someone hurt our feelings, we stay hurt. Emotions should do their work and move on. Ask yourself, what will help me let go? Explain myself? An apology? Do I need to see them making an effort? And the fourth question to ask ourselves is whose problem is this really? How much of it is mine and how much of it is theirs? Say your teenage son's room is untidy. If you have to find something in there, there is a problem. It's yours. But as it's your son's room, the mess is largely his problem you communicate your anger more effectively if you're assertive about your part of the problem and you minimize your suggestions about theirs. And lastly, number five, what do I think this situation implies? In other words, what story am I telling myself about it? Is it that they don't like me or they don't respect me or they don't appreciate me? The conclusions that we're drawing about other people's behaviour often make us feel worse and sometimes quite out of proportion to the actual situation. Recognise that you, and not they, have added this story and reassess how realistic it is. Here are five goals to keep in mind when you're communicating emotions. Firstly. Avoid the desire to punish or to blame. Take responsibility for how you feel. If you plan an action, check that it's not vindictive. Are you blaming someone for your feelings? People do what they do and we react how we do. And there's an important difference between you made me mad and when you do that, I get mad. I'm taking responsibility for how I feel. Number two, improve the situation. High emotions indicate where change is wanted and we want to make that situation better. Our third goal is to communicate our feelings appropriately. If someone hurts or angers you, you do have a right to say so, but you don't want them to become too defensive. A well-chosen I statement is often your best bet. For example, when you leave suddenly without talking about our problems, I feel hurt. I'd like us to discuss our problems more openly. You might want to check out a lot more about I statements under skill number four, Appropriate Assertiveness, in this series. Our next goal is to improve the relationship and increase communication. Bottling up your feelings withdraws something of yourself from the relationship. When you talk about your feelings, you're offering something very precious to the other person, the opportunity to know you better. When someone tells you about their feelings, they're offering you the same gift. Treat their feelings with care. Our last goal, number five, is to avoid repeating the same situation. Your aim is to prevent the problem from recurring. So, say what you've found difficult, ask to be treated in a particular way, work on fixing the problem. You're looking after yourself and the relationship. Once, when my daughter was a child, we were arguing, and she said to me, I hate you. And I replied, Well, right now, I don't like you very much either. But in our family, that's the start of a conversation, not the end of it. Say what you need to say to the other person. But don't put them out of your heart. Emotions have a natural cycle. They arise. We recognize and accept them. We respond and their energy releases, and we're then back at equilibrium. If we can't or don't choose to respond with a communication or appropriate action at this time, how do we return to equilibrium? Our normal cycle's been interrupted. So, we could express, we could suppress, or perhaps contain. Perhaps we're fearful of being overwhelmed by the emotion, and we're avoiding a conflict that might come in its wake. So we suppress our hurt or our anger and try to deny it. The cycle's not complete. We breathe more shallowly, our overall levels of stress build. There's a direct connection between our psychology and our physiology. Pent-up, suppressed emotions don't disappear, and they can implode, causing illness and burnout. Or maybe they explode and sooner or later they'll cause an embarrassing scene. Our emotions are experienced through our body. It's our instrument of emotional awareness. When it's not appropriate to express our emotions, we're doing damage to ourselves if we suppress it, refusing to be aware of it. We dull our body's mind. We've clogged up that filter between ourselves and the outside world. If we've locked up too many emotions away from our awareness, We don't read accurately what's going on, and we might act unconsciously, out of control, and sometimes completely out of whack with the current situation. If we can't find a safe way to access what we feel, we are liable to self-medicate, to dampen down that sensitivity. And we can do it in all sorts of ways. We can do it with spite, anger, overeating, self-harm, legal or illegal drugs, We can even be addicted to conflict itself if it deadens a deeper pain. When it doesn't seem right to bring our emotions into the relationship, our best alternative is to contain them for the time being. How's that different to suppressing? Containing means that we remain aware of the emotion, but we don't fully respond to it yet. We make considered choices about our best words and actions for now. The requirements of the workplace and social decorum will often prevent us from going public about our feelings. The energy of the contained emotion might still be running high. It's like a wave running into shore. It will stop naturally when it runs out of momentum, as long as we don't embroider it with story. Many emotions simply discharge during our daily activity, and we also discharge some of our emotions nightly in our dreams. We might discharge incomplete emotions while we're exercising, or writing a journal, or meditating, or talking out the day's events with someone we're close to. While we seem to be addicted to stoku or computer games, we may in fact be metabolising our grief, or perhaps our shock. We might express our innermost feelings through movement or dance, or by listening to or making music, or by painting. Deep emotions have always been rich fuel for the arts. For the really big issues, we may need to talk with someone professional who won't judge us and will give us the safe space we need in order to go in-depth into what we've experienced. Just a warning, however, we can become fixated on our anger, our worry, our pain, our misery, depression and other challenges, and that's no more helpful than trying not to feel these emotions. We keep stirring them up rather than allowing them to dissipate. They can become the narrative that defines us. Managing our emotions well is not about repeating tired stories any chance we get. Often, we can complete a troubling emotion in private. If our thoughts about it won't settle down, a playful exercise might stop our constant revisiting. We might release our anger by play-acting it out, overdoing it, stomping around the house, dramatising groans, pretending to puke or blow raspberries at the situation and even at the anger itself. It's definitely best done alone but uh, make it a game, be childlike. It's a great way to break our fascination with an emotion that really should pass through us and not stick around to get in our way. Sometimes we're in a rut. We can't pinpoint our feelings exactly, but we keep rolling the same old thoughts about a problem and we get nowhere. That's a perfect time for using a wonderful technique for deeply listening to ourselves. It's called focusing. I'll give you a quick explanation here, and if it appeals, I highly recommend Eugene Gendlin's book called Focusing. It's been constantly in print since 1988. Focusing is the art of paying attention to the way your body feels a problem, your thoughts and emotions. It takes you out of the mind chatter and into the here and now. I use it to deepen my understanding of how things really sit for me, and it often changes the way that I decide to deal with a conflict. To focus well, you need to grasp just two basic concepts. Felt sense... And body shift. Your body registers everything that's going on in very subtle muscular responses and energy flows and resistances. Different issues feel different, they have different felt senses. Just like holding an orange feels different to holding a tennis ball, our whole body is doing our thinking. If we want to better understand how a problem is affecting us, we can tune in to its felt sense in our body. Try this. Think for a moment about your mother. Or you could choose a mother figure in your life. Not a whole lot of detail, just all about my mother. Just get the essence of her. And see if you can sense where in your body you hold these sensations. Take the time you need. Next switch to thinking all about my father or a father figure. Can you feel a difference? Switch between both of them several times. Might help you locate a different felt sense for each of them. The next concept to get is body shift. It happens when we first find accurate words for something that was previously unconscious. There's a release of energy with that and a subtle change in our body's state. Say we know we've forgotten something, um, but we just can't think what it is. It niggles away until it springs back to mind. Oh, that's right. I want to take that book with me there's a noticeable release of tension that just comes from bringing it back to mind. Possibly you readjust your position or take a deeper breath or tap your head. The moment of relief, that's called body shift. A similar relief and release of energy occurs any time you tune into the felt sense of something that's troubling you And up pops a new set of words that describe the matter exactly. The accurate labelling undoes a knot inside you and you resettle yourself a bit. Your label might be, oh, the real problem is, I'm not sure I can trust him. Or, oh, that's it, I really want her to like me. There's a body shift because there's a real change in how we understand the problem now. Okay, that's body shift and felt sense. You're actually ready to start focusing. I'll probably run through these instructions a bit fast for you. Focusing takes a bit of time. You may want to play this section again and turn me off while you practice, but here's the gist of it. Bring to mind some current difficulty get in contact with its felt sense somewhere in your body. Actually, the more troubling the problem or the conflict, the easier it is to find its felt sense. But don't go into it. Don't rehash all that you already know about it. Just get a global sense of all about the problem and where you hold it in your body. Probably somewhere in your torso Ask those physical sensations. What's the main thing here? What's important here? Why am I uncomfortable? Don't answer with your previous thoughts. Let your body tell you where it's at right now. Stop the mind chatter. Feel. Listen. Wait. After a few moments, a label for something important about the problem will pop into your mind, and the sensation you're feeling changes a bit. That's a subtle body shift. It's your cue to ask that new sensation, oh, so what's the main thing about that? And after a little while, there's another insight and another little body shift. And that's how you go on feeling for the next body sensation, asking it to explain itself, receiving a label and noticing any body shift that it produces. If the label that you receive doesn't seem quite accurate, just ask again and wait again. As you get your labels just right, it's rather like untangling a knotted fishing line. As each piece is freed by being correctly described, the next bit becomes available. You may come to an insight that's particularly significant, and you'll suddenly feel hot or get a rush of goosebumps. That's not a subtle body shift, that's a big one. The trapped energy of what was previously unconscious is discharging. It's like bursting a boil. Allow it some time to drain. Sometimes there might be tears, but they are good ones. You're letting go of something that's held you back. Keep repeating your focusing cycle until it feels like it's enough for now. Some problems are so complex that they take months or even years to untangle completely. You can always return to focusing another day. Focusing of itself doesn't resolve an issue. It's concerned with clearly identifying it. But that will often help us move forward. Perhaps you're worrying about a thorny problem at work. Focusing just might help you make that creative leap that it needs. Or perhaps you're troubled about a shifting tide in one of your friendships and you want to be clear about how you feel about that. Focusing might be the tool that you reach for. It doesn't mean that you'll always act on what you discover through focusing or perhaps even talk about it to anyone else. But can you honour your emotions as they arise in your life? Allow them into your conscious experience. Let's take a moment to listen to Rachel's story, because she found focusing particularly helpful. Rachel is an Australian woman. She is married to a Greek man, Dimitri, and she told me this story about while they were still living in Greece, but were preparing for Dimitri to make the big step of migrating to Australia with her. In those last months before the big move, her husband was surrounded by family and friends, and there was very little time for privacy between them as a couple. Easter was coming, and Dimitri suggested they go away for a few days. He'd been really busy organising the move to Australia, and she was excited to have some quality time together at last. However, when she heard that his plan was to go with his brother to visit his uncle in a nearby town, her heart sank. She could just see herself trailing after three macho men, and it wasn't her idea of a romantic holiday. So she asked Dimitri if they could do something else, just the two of them. And Dimitri replied gruffly, I don't want to leave my brother while his wife's away. And Rachel agreed, but very reluctantly. And Dimitri grumbled. Don't worry, it's better if we just stay here. They left the issue, but she felt really angry and hurt. Later, alone, she decided to try focusing. She described to me how she'd used it to help her with those pent-up feelings. She tuned into their conflict, felt for where she was holding it in her body, and asked her inner sense of it all what was the real issue for her. And then she waited. And words started to flow for her. I feel so disappointed. I feel like I'm giving our relationship more than he is. I'm tired of trying so hard. I feel lonely. I miss everyone in Australia. No, no, that's not quite right. Ah, I feel hurt because it seems he just prefers to spend his time with his family and friends. I feel let down. Well, she knew that was the crux of the problem because a wave of tears came with that. And when they passed, she went back to focusing some more. She wanted to refine how she felt about the problem now. So she went back into her body sensations of how it felt to her right now and let the thoughts arise from that new place. And her main issue became, I feel unappreciated when Dimitri doesn't make time to nurture our relationship. And then some perspective on his issues washed in. She understood that he felt so responsible towards his family and how he felt torn leaving his friends, too, to move to Australia with her. And she wondered if this was why he wanted to spend every spare minute with them before leaving. Her emotions settled. Well, she still felt neglected and hurt, but now she had some clarity, and she knew that they would need to talk about this issue again. The final surprise came when Dmitri arrived home that day, Normally, after an argument, he'd give her the silent treatment for a while. He'd be a bit resentful. But this time, she said he came in warm and affectionate. And she wondered if he was responding to the internal shift that she'd made during her focusing time. The following day, they were able to discuss the holiday and her needs in the relationship quite calmly. She encouraged him to open up about his sense of responsibility to his family too and what he could do about that once they'd made the big move. They really cleared the air. I don't actually know how they spent that last Easter break in Greece. Didn't seem that important to Rachel anymore. We've looked at how best to handle ourselves. Now what about others? What's the best way to respond to another person's powerful emotions? Even if you love and respect someone deeply and you would never wish to really hurt them, sooner or later you probably will. Their hot buttons are pressed and a wave of their anger and hurt emotion breaks over you. They're now in reaction. Will you react too? or will you respond? Can we treat other people's emotions as we ought to treat our own, carefully listening to their messages? Just because somebody's totally lost their call and they're erupting, you don't have to join in a free-for-all of flying insults. You'll regret it. You might say something that you can't take back. You might get hit. You might hit someone else. Violence is not okay. Violence is never okay. Remember, emotions are contagious. Immunise yourself against the negative and transmit the positive. How we handle those very extreme moments is very driven by culture and family background. If you've grown up in a household where extreme blowouts and reactions are common and noisy, you might think there's no choice but to explode too. But just as our own anger rises up towards bursting point, There's a moment of choice. You let it drip, or you don't. Choose not to. Stay in charge of yourself. Be tolerant if the other person has exploded. Hear them out. It's a sign of maturity when you can allow some leeway for other people to discharge their pent-up emotions without taking offence or reacting in kind. Try not to defend or explain yourself at that time. Don't attack back or withdraw, or close down the conversation. Do your best to stay kind, generous, and open. And don't try toning them down. It's probably not the best moment to curb their momentum with comfort, advice, or criticism. Even with the best of intentions, it might be read as disrespectful. Might be fine to do it a bit later on. But first, they need us to acknowledge how strongly they feel. We might validate the emotion by naming it. Oh, I can see how angry you are. Sometimes that's enough to steer the conflict towards problem solving. Stabilise your own core. What does that mean? As soon as you can, tune into your body, breathe, breathe deeply, centre and ground yourself. Monitor your own reactions. If you're reasonably calm and accepting, you're transmitting a positive vibe that can help. Really listen until they've calmed down. Aim to be a caring witness for their anger and their distress. And pay careful attention to what you're picking up from the communication. You want to appreciate both their feelings and the actual content. And let irate remarks pass you by without reacting. Save your own comments until their whole tone has changed, and it will once they feel heard out. Timing is all here as you steer this into a safe and constructive interaction. You might explore more of the issues involved with the redirecting question. What can we do now? It can lead them out of their swamp of feelings and into a thinking state so that they've got a chance to recenter. Clarify their needs and concerns with them. Can you discuss some of their unmet needs that underlie the outburst? Their needs are valid, but you don't have to meet every one of them. Be willing to return to just listening if they flare up again. You do want all the relevant issues out there on the table. Consider your next step. Do you need to acknowledge your contribution to their problem? Have you ignored a need of theirs or done something that appears disrespectful? Now's a good time to take responsibility for that. How might you fix other issues together? Is this a suitable time to develop options? Or perhaps for you to make an eye statement about your needs or concerns? Or to take time out? You might both need a cup of tea or a walk around the block after all that. People's behaviour can be very frustrating. The emotions on display can feel like emotional blackmail. There are situations when offering too much attention to a negative behaviour and the emotion driving it is not the best thing to do. For instance, with power and control issues, or attention seeking, or the desire for revenge, or displays of inadequacy or helplessness. Child psychologist Rudolf Dreikers identified these behaviours in children, and in my experience, adults often continued these problematic ways of interacting. How best to respond? Power struggles, attention-seeking, revenge or helplessness need too to play. So disengage where possible. Yes, you might deliver an nice I-statement about what's unacceptable behaviour around you, or let them know what you find really off-putting. But you also need long-term strategies. Support the real need underlying the emotions and the annoying behaviours. Remember that behind this mess of emotional blackmail are unmet needs or hidden fears. If you're beginning to get caught up in a power struggle, disengage. People flaunt power to build their self-esteem, It can make you furious if their abilities don't justify it or if they test you with typical teenage confrontations such as, you can't make me. Adults might use slightly more sophisticated language as they dig their heels in, but fundamentally it boils down to the same thing. Disengage from a power struggle as soon as you recognise it. Both fighting back and giving in only serve to reward the power grab. Instead, divert, praise something they do well, establish a more respectful connection. You're after cooperative power. That's skill number five in this series. Reward the behavior you do want. It's easy to react negatively to someone who's seeking excessive attention. Perhaps they jump into the spotlight, big note themselves, or monopolize conversations. How do you react? Do you remind them that they've said enough about that already or put them in their place? Your attention rewards the attention-seeking. You've been hooked. Whatever you reward, you get more of. So reward what you do want. Support their constructive involvement and contributions and ignore their bids for attention wherever it's possible. People's attempts at revenge can be very tough to handle, especially when you're the target. But don't retaliate. Sometimes their urge to pay you back harks back to old injustices in their history. Notice it as a tactic. You might even expect it if you recognise their triggers. Your distress feeds their impulse to hurt you, so it's often best to act unaffected. Consider instead How can you build more trust? How can you show that you respect their needs? Justice is their big issue, so make sure you are being just and fair with them. Nonetheless, your best efforts might not work, and you just have to back away. You may be driven mad by someone who acts helpless when really they're not. Don't succumb. Remember the professional victim we discussed in skill number five on cooperative power? The child who plays dumb in order to avoid chores. Or the co worker who acts clueless to avoid an extra task and entices you into doing lots of their work. Or the parent who's too needy and constantly phoning their adult children. It's so tempting to give in and just do whatever they want. Watch out, you're rewarding the negative behaviour, you'll get more of it. Perhaps instead you react by nagging or criticising, but this doesn't really help either. You're more likely to cut through the manipulation by supporting any positive attempts they make, however small, to help themselves and to get on with managing their own lives. Manage the emotions fueling manipulative behaviours by supporting the legitimate, underfed needs that are behind them. Nourish core needs. Become a source of positive emotions. In fact, can we become a constant source of positive emotions for those around us well before problems arise? It's how we can harness cooperation Creativity and trustworthiness in the most difficult of people. And we can do it all the time, with everyone. Fisher and Shapiro, in their book Beyond Reason, recommend that we nourish five core underlying needs that are actually common to most people. Five core needs? What are they? Good question. Express appreciation of the merits of how the other person thinks, feels and acts, and express your appreciation of the difficulties they're facing. Nourish their self-esteem. Help them build a sense of affiliation or connection with us and their team. We all need to feel we belong. Indicate our respect for their autonomy, their need and ability to make decisions for themselves. the need some independence to build their identity. Respect their status. Don't demean them in any way. They need our respect. And lastly, help shape fulfilling and meaningful roles for them whenever it's appropriate and especially when designing solutions. They need to feel significant and have their contributions valued. We forestall negative feelings with an overlay of positive ones. They're more likely to want us as their partners rather than their opponents. We want them to value our relationship, and they will if they feel good in our company, and they'll nourish us in return. Here's the summary. Don't overindulge or deny your emotions. All our emotions are worthy of our attention, just don't dress them up with stories. Each has a message for us and in particular we can ask ourselves what do we want to change. Then we can decide what to communicate with others. An I statement tells the other person we're taking responsibility for how we feel. We might want to review that format. It's in skill number four on assertiveness. To return to equilibrium, we might need to release pent-up feelings away from the other person. Try focusing to find the crux of the problem, name it clearly for ourselves and find out what's underneath. Our emotions grow us if we allow them into awareness. Respect other people's strong feelings. Handle a blow-up with really good listening. You might want to review this method too, You'll find that in part one of skill number three, empathy. Don't reward manipulative emotions and behaviours. Instead, support the underfed needs that are driving their emotional blackmail. Become a source of positive feelings for others. Protect and nourish their self-esteem, help them feel they belong, they're appreciated and that they're making a significant contribution. When we learn how to manage emotions, our own and other people's, we build richer and more meaningful relationships. If you'd like more details on all of this, have a look at our website at Conflict Resolution Network. Our headquarters are at crnhq.org. You can download a transcript and explore our study notes on managing emotions. And there's a free manual for trainers there too. And for ongoing reference, you might want to purchase the book Everyone Can Win. It's the inspiration for this series. In this episode, we've explored tools for managing emotions that we can use right now. But in truth, there may be no real resolution until we're ready to forgive and move on. What fuels ongoing resentment? We look into how we can work with and around this in our next episode on willingness to resolve. So do press your play button for that one sometime soon. Perhaps subscribe to the series wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. And you can really help us spread the word if you leave us a review there. And let your friends know about it too. Good conflict resolution skills do make an enormous difference in people's lives.